Good morning and welcome to Public Affair. I'm your host, Tish Buford, and in studio this morning, we have a very special guest. We have the new executive director of One Colorado, Miss Nadine Bridges. Now, she is very special because she is the first black woman executive director to head up One Colorado, which is the leading organization in the state of Colorado for LGBTQ rights. And she is at the forefront of this fight, and she is the new leader of this wonderful, influential organization. I want to welcome Miss Nadine Bridges to the studio with us this morning, and she's going to discuss her ascension to this very important role in Colorado and what One Colorado has on its decks for legislative action, community action uh, coming up in 2022, including Pride, of course. So we'll get into all that here in the next 30 minutes. Miss Nadine, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today on this very cold day. It is <laughs> so, eight degrees it is outside. Eight degrees. It is absolutely insane. I don't think penguins <laughs> go out in this kind of cold, right? No, no. All it right. is definitely. But you carry 100 degrees in your heart, so it makes you feel 100% better. I <laughs> would concur with that. So let's get right into it. So in the intro, I was sharing with our audience this morning that you became the newest executive director mm-hmm. of One Colorado. And you are, as I just stated, the first black woman to hold this position. Tell us how you ascended to this because you are a lifetime activist, you know, philanthropist, you know, professor. I mean, you've done everything. I have. (laughs) So how did you get this role? What was the process and how did it come to your attention? Yeah, I can say what I would say is that, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time, really since I was a kid. I got into this work um, after getting my master's degree in social work at the University of Denver, graduate school social work. And I started out working with immigrant families, first generation families, getting them to and through school, then moved on to running my and being the head of um, an LGBTQ youth organization here in the Denver metro area. I took a break from that and went into government for a couple of years um, for public health. I was the head of community health for Boulder County Public Health. And really, when Daniel, the former executive director, had stepped away after being at the organization for 10 years, I had community members who reached out and and asked me to apply for this position. I did not ever think that I would be an executive director at this point. But after listening to a few folks, I said, you know, why not? Let's let's put my um, hat in the ring and, and see what happens. And now I'm here. The first black woman to be an executive director for One Colorado. And that just sounds so good to say out loud, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does. I think, you know, One Colorado is a part of an equality federation, which is about 50 um, LGBTQ advocacy organizations across the state. And if I remember correctly, there's only three or four of us um, across the state. Um, One being uh, Nadine Smith, who's the executive director um, of in Florida. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name right now. Uh, but yes, yeah, so there's only about three or four of us out there. And so to be in this role at this time period is, is absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. Now, coming off the George Floyd and all the other significant deaths that took place and how it affected the country and the world, what has One Colorado done since you've come on board to bring more attention 
to now this is you know you know in conjunction with black lives matter obviously sure but what role has one colorado taken on within your community within your organization to bring more awareness to what has been amplified over the last two years yeah i mean i think one of the biggest things that i have been pushing in this year and it's been a year and a month that i've been um the executive director is this idea that you know the LGBTQ community is not a monolith. We are literally representative of every community, religion, race that's out there. And so when we talk about Black Lives Matter and when we talk about Brown Lives Matter, when we talk about transgender folks, that is our issue. So one of the biggest things that we did as an organization is that we started to really understand how we as a people working in this organization really focus on anti-racist, anti-oppression work. What does that mean for us, each individual, whether it's a board member or staff? So we've done a lot of trainings um, so that we can, we're not all going to be at the same level, but that we all come from the same lens, that we, whether we're working with funders or donors, that we're able to hold them accountable and hold ourselves accountable. In addition to that, I've worked with um, the center on Colfax, their executive director, Rex Fuller, to have conversations with police departments around the impacts of policing, Pride. Um, we supported them um, when last year when they had made the decision um, to not allow police to be during Pride. And now we're working with them to uh, have some kind of community talkbacks um, so that we can get a better understanding of, you know, LGBTQ folks who are officers, as well as what is the meaning of policing during Pride? What does that mean to black and brown bodies? What does that mean to trauma? Um, what does that mean for folks who, you know, within our community who are black and brown, who are police officers, who may be LGBTQ, and how do we become inclusive and also accountable at the same time? Um, these are difficult conversations, but we're really trying to push in that realm. Absolutely. And being black woman in this position in such a powerful position in the community, do you feel that it's open doors and areas of communication that may not have existed prior to you, the uh, the new director. Oh yeah, I I believe there's a lot of folks in community um, who might even though one Colorado has done incredible amount of work, there are folks who still felt unheard. And now I have the ability and the opportunity to kind of traverse their journeys and have conversations and be accountable to the work we've done and the work that we want to do in the future. Absolutely. And the reason why I brought up the George Floyd situation was because I know that sometimes. People, and I don't think it's intentional, I just think it's subconscious. They, there is an assumption that one Colorado just, you know, addresses their issues pertaining to the LGBTQ community and nothing else. Right. And, and, and like I said, you know, we're not a monolith. And so one of the biggest things, I think some things that folks don't recognize about One Colorado, they see us as this political juggernaut. Um, we also do a, a lot of health equity work. And so one of the biggest things that I pushed for this year was to expand our work outside of this kind of I-25 corridor. Um, we just hired a health equity coordinator in a Southern Colorado organizer to work within Pueblo County to do food insecurity work. I, a, a great person once told me that civil engagement is not civil engagement if we don't work on health disparities as well. You have to have a house, you have to have food, you have to have education, you have to have a safe place to live in order to be involved civically. Um, and so we are working really hard to do that. Um, we're also doing youth empowerment work in southwestern Colorado, uh, partnering with the Uprise Group, uh, really just making sure that we are 
uplifting and empowering vulnerable communities in order to ensure that when we say equality for all LGBTQ Coloradans and families, that we really mean that. Right. And I know that you guys have worked hard for many years, for over a decade in Colorado to make sure that that message and that activism is consistent and it runs in concert with each other. Yes. And I know that that is not going to change with you in charge. No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, we're a bipartisan organization, so we certainly have to walk on this line of, like, who's going to support the work that we do. But we also need to hold folks accountable. It's not just LGBT, LGBTQ folks. It's not a generalization. We can't generalize us. So we have to understand, like, I'm always saying there's got to be a lesbian couple that's out on the Mesa that's been, like, raising alpacas and fostering kids for 30 years. And they don't care what I'm doing here in Denver, but they do care about clean water. They do care about access to the Internet. They do care that their, their kids are protected. And we have a duty to ensure that those voices are uplifted, their voices are uplifted, no, no different than the folks who are in this area, whether it's Denver, Boulder, Colorado Springs, um, we have a duty. And so I think that's, I'm following in the footsteps of folks who traveled across the state in the past in order to do that. And I think we're just going to make it bigger and better, really uplift those voices. It also applies to different subsects within that. Right. In and outside of that community. So you may have a certain group of people within that that have specific issues. Right. But that may not apply or translate to other groups right, right, who may be heterosexual or who may be LGBTQ. Right. The point is we're all community and we all have a lot of the same things in common. Right. And that is what I know One Colorado is trying to tackle. Absolutely. Now, in your short tenure since you've come on, what has been the most difficult challenge that you've run into? There's so many challenges. I think one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, when you're a woman coming into this role, there's definitely this kind of sense of a boys club. And so trying to kind of traverse that world and, and, and recognize that, you know, my voice is just as important and that, you know, the communities of, of folks who have not been heard that their voices are just as important is something that I think has been a little difficult. In addition, I think Many folks think because we have marriage equality, um, that we have access to PrEP and PEP, anti-bullying laws here in Colorado. I think a lot of folks kind of felt like we're done. We did it. Um, and the reality is, is that that's not true. There's, you know, we have transgender folks who, and non-binary folks, gender expansive folks who still need to be supported. I mean, our transgender youth are being attacked on the regular right now um, for not being involved in sports. Um, you know, the religious freedom is a discussion that's impacting our communities right now. There's, you know, many folks who are folks who are more conservative, who are working in school boards right now and changing the path where young people aren't even, they, they don't feel safe. And we still have a duty to ensure that that happens. We have unhoused folks right out here on Stout Street, um, youth, young adults, transgender folks who are our community, and we need to do something about that. Absolutely. And these young people are literally trying to transcend into adulthood. Absolutely. And they're being stifled, they're being bullied, and their lives are being put in danger every day. Every day. Just for existing. And the worst kind of ignorance, willful, intentional neglect. Right. Willful, in, just intentional, just 
berating, bullying, as you said, mm. and just the dehumanization yeah. of young people. It's a thousand paper cuts to the soul. Absolutely. Um, and, and, I, and I always say, like, I would rather be punched in the face because I at least can heal from that. But when you start to tear down my soul, it takes generations to heal. It takes beyond generations to heal. Um, we're talking about our older adults who are maybe going back into the closet the time after working so hard. And, and then you have youth who don't even, they can't vote. You know what I'm saying? They, they're still vulnerable. And we have folks who are harming both sides. Um, and that is unacceptable. You have to, you said, you know, dehumanizing. And one of the things I'm always talking about is that you have to have respect and love for the human condition in order to see that I might not think like you. We not might not have come from the same background, but we're going to work, move on this journey together. And we're going to create space for opportunity to thrive. And if you are not on that line with me, then... I don't want anything to do with you, and I'm not going to let you harm my youth. I'm not going to let you harm uh, folks with disabilities. I'm not going to let you harm our LGBTQ older adults. It's just, it's not going to happen. We came too far. We've come too far for me to allow that to happen, and I'm very happy to be a part of an organization that is working really hard to create space for that never to happen. I love that message, and I love the fact that you included uh men and women who may be of the, you know, the Generation X or the baby boomer age mm, mm-hmm. who were struggling with coming out. Absolutely. Uh, because of the, you know, antagonistic messages they were receiving about how they would be perceived if they came out. Yeah. Because, you know, their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their fathers and mothers, and they have grown children or grandchildren you know, it's something that's just unheard of. Right. And why would you do that at this point in your life? Because you've already done all this, so why would you even bother talking about your sexuality at this age? Yeah, and I mean, like, it's you're, you're hiding a piece of yourself, you know, like mm-hmm. cutting off your soul to make someone else happy. And, you know, a few years ago, I, I, I had the um, opportunity to meet with an 85-year-old gentleman who had just come out, was going to his first pride, and the happiness that was that man to stand up in the float, to do the things that he wanted to do, and finally be seen at 85. Like, Come on. And then on the flip side of that, I I had a meeting one time with a group called OLOC, which is Older Lesbians Organizing Change. And I used to work with some youth who used to call them granny bros because they were just incredible. But one of the one of the the folks who are part of that group said to us, like, you know, we we like to say that we are the ones that kick down the doors. But the reality was, is that we had a we had a choice to make. And many times that meant marriage and having kids and hiding ourselves. But these youth, these this Gen Z and younger they are living it now and they're being faced at young tender ages vulnerable ages with this hate you know and that is a whole different ball game and what's beautiful about them is that they're not hiding they're like no I'm gonna be the first transgender woman to be prom queen you better do something about that right so we have a duty to protect both of them the duty to protect the 85 year old that's coming out and the duty to protect the 12 year old the 10 year old the five year old who's saying this is who I am it's authentically me we live in a country where democracy is around being free and if we don't have the opportunity to be free then what are we doing why are we here I could not agree more and I want 
to expand on that a little bit more. And we're going to get into some other items here that we have in this great conversation that we're having with the wonderful and brilliant uh, Nadine Bridges, Executive Director of One Colorado. I am your host, Tish Buford, and you're listening to Public Affair. And we're going to get back in to the other side of this discussion. So to piggyback on what you were saying, I feel from what I've seen, um, because I have gay members in my family Mm -hmm. who I love dearly. I have transgender members in my family who I love dearly, just as much as my straight relatives. I don't care what you are. Just be true to who you are. Right. That's my motto. But I'm seeing, and this was coming out, you know, uh, with the George Floyd situation. I know I have alluded to that a couple times, that the youth, the Generation Z and the millennials are paving the way for the Generation X and, you know, uh, baby boomers. And saying, hey, look, I know that for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you haven't been able to do your thing. But, hey, can I help you? Okay, I don't have any fear, so you can ride on my back. So I see our youth taking our generations of elders and adults and putting them on their back. Absolutely. And I think that's historically, that's the way it happens, right? We have our youth who, um, you know, when you, even you think about Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks or Marcus Garvey, they were young. You know what I'm Very. saying? They, they weren't, you know, they weren't older adults and they paved the way. And now what happened, it's happening again. And what we're seeing now is that these these youth and young adults are just saying like, no, I don't want, because I'm always talking about play the game. You got to play the game in order to get to the next level. And what they're saying, like, no more games. <laughs> we want equality. We want equity. We want to make sure that we are seen and heard at all times. None of this backtracking anymore. And I think that, like, you know, sometimes that's unfair, you know, because, you know, many of our folks who have paved the way, whether it's boomers, whether it's gener- Generation X, they, they created a space for us to be where we are now. And so now we're just kind of like hyper leveling it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. okay, this is the next step. And the pandemic was horrific and is still horrific on many of our communities. But what it did do is create a space for everyone to collectively come together and say, like, no, like, this is un- this is not okay. What George Floyd is not okay. Trayvon is not okay. Breonna Taylor is not okay. The, the, the many um, transgender women of color who have been killed in this last year, that's not okay, and we need to do something about it. And how amazing it was to see these folks get into the streets to say we're not going to take it anymore. And I think as Generation X and anybody else above and below, it is our duty to hold on to that and to continue to fight because I don't want to live like this. You know what I'm saying? I don't want it to be that anybody should feel um, mental harm and, you know, really get be impacted by what's happening right now um, in a negative way just because of who they are. Um, that is just not how we need to move forward, you know, not in 2022. Uh, absolutely. And and we don't need to move forward in 2022 or any year after that. What I found in the pandemic uh, that was horrific and it deeply affected my family. We lost our mother mm. in August. She contracted COVID in December of 2020 and she was hospitalized in January of 2021. She held on and she fought for eight or nine months. She did that for us. Mm. Just because that's just, she she was the diva. Wow. She wasn't going to go out quick. So everything the doctors 
diagnosed for her, she defied the odds. Mm. She defied the odds. And the blessing we had is we had access to her. Yeah. Every day we could talk to her. Every day we could see her. Not many families had that. Right. And what I found through this, this horrific loss was the world got real small, mm. real fast. Yeah. So we lost a lot, but we also gained a lot because take away the world's distractions. Mm. All our worlds are very closely tied. Absolutely. And so my mother has always taught me, she said, go to places where people don't expect to see you. Mm. And people went places that others didn't expect to see them during the pandemic. Mm. They crossed those virtual lines. Absolutely. And a lot of barriers were broken. Mm. So my mother defied the odds, and she's a hero. Yes. And there were other heroes like her that were known and unknown. Mm. And we got to just take that message that the world is not that big. We just have distractions getting in our way. Absolutely. And with leaders like you, at the forefront of this movement, we're gonna move that proverbial boat a little bit at a time. We're gonna have people jump ship, we're gonna have people throw oars at each other, but we're gonna keep moving that ship forward, even if it's a little little bit at a time. Yeah. And we were discussing this off air, the Family Affirmation Act. Yeah. So I would love to touch on that with you for Absolutely. a little bit. Tell us more about that. Absolutely, well first I just wanna circle back and say thank you for honoring this space with the energy of your mom and sharing that story with me. I, I, I can't imagine, I can't even imagine what that's like. And so I just want to create that space and give you some healing energy and love and light um, before I move forward with any other conversation. Thank so you. I'm feeling that energy in your mama love. And so I'm going to hold that with me on this two, 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 two day. So <laughs> what a great day. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> with the Family Affirmation Act, I think even what you were just talking about with your mom right there, you know, when you have the decision and the opportunity to have a family and have beauty and joy, nothing should get in the way of that. And this Family Affirmation Act, what it does is it creates opportunity, in particular for LGBTQ families, to have that same joy without obstacles, to have that opportunity to have a family where you don't have to jump through hoops in order to have that family. Um, so I'm really excited. Um, it was It went through committee today first hearing and it was passed 10 to 2. Um, I'm super excited about that and I'm looking forward to the next steps and so that we can make this a law. I am so excited about this bill and it's long overdue. It's long yes, overdue it is. and it's going to provide the kind of equality that all types of couples need to have. Absolutely. And I want to say that I'm thankful for Representative Escar and Tipper, who both brought this um, bill right now. You know, Representative Escar's story is, is powerful. When you have her and her wife, Heather, and their beautiful child, they just want to be a family. I mean, there's so many folks in Colorado who are just like that. And so we want to create that space for them to be just to share in that beauty and that joy. And, and you know, and for moms and, and, and parents to be able to create that space for their young people to thrive and set footprints for others. Absolutely. And I believe that you told me that it passed committee 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are the next steps for the bill real quickly? So it'll go into second reading and we will, we're just kind of keeping an eye on that for that right now. And then, you know, once it goes through second reading, it'll get to the Senate and then we'll keep moving forward. Sounds good. Now, before we get out of here today, I want to just quickly touch on Pride that's coming up in May, uh, in June of this year. Are we going to have the full scale? Yeah, as far as I know, um, you know, the the center in Colfax is the one that does Pride every year, and I believe it's January, it's June, January, it's June 25th and 26th, and as far as I know, they're going to be moving forward, and I'm ready for it. It's been, what, two years, almost three years? It's it's also close to my nine-year wedding anniversary, so I want to be able to have fun and celebrate with our community. I'm I'm really proud of, of what we have done, the small little things we've been able to do to celebrate Pride you know, virtually, and it was a smaller pride next last year, but I'm looking forward to this. And One Colorado 100% will be there. We will be, you know, tabling. We'll be at Pride. You know, we're ready for it. I know you guys are, and we're looking forward to it, and I know the community is ready for it because we need that love and that light. Now, before we get out of here, I just want to say real quickly, thank you for all your work that you're doing in the community. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you. In, in, in this in this wonderful, very important role. And I know you're going to continue to do great things for the community. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This has been an honor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's been an honor having you. So thank you again, Ms. Nadine Bridges, Executive Director of One Colorado, for joining yeah. us on Public Affair. And thank you all for listening. And I, I want to dedicate this show to my mother, Beverly Jenkins. And to all of the family members uh, who lost loved ones to COVID, who have been affected by this pandemic, it is real. Please protect yourself. Please be conscientious and stay safe. And if you're looking to get involved with activism this weekend at the state capitol, it's being sponsored by uh, Martha Ray. And it's the End Racism Rally, and it's in honor of the 10-year anniversary of Trayvon Martin's death. It starts at 2 p.m., on the state capitol stairs. So if you're interested in being involved in that, look that up on Facebook again. It's the End Racism Rally in honor of Trayvon Martin and the organizers, Martha Ray, and her last name is R-A-Y-E, and she would love to have you out there 2 o'clock this Saturday at the state capitol. Thank you for listening to A Public Affair. Please stay safe.